right, if you'll open your Bibles into the book of Judges, uh, our focus tonight is, is on the second and third chapters, you know, Judges 2 and Judges 3. As we get, in, get into our, our study this evening, uh, Leland uh, gave us a good introduction last week as you think about the kind of the character of the book, the character of the nation, and the very last verse uh, of the 21st chapter is a pretty good summation of the general character of the nation of Israel, God's people, between, uh, you'd say, the death of Joshua uh, uh, to the time period of the kings. And so where it basically says the character of the nation in a gist was everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. And as you know, the, the, the book begins not immediately talking about specific judges, but rather begins with an overview, an overview of the period that is being discussed and described in, in this book, uh, a time when God used judges to restore his blessings when the people humbly turned back in faithful keeping of the covenant. And we defined last week a little bit about you know, what a judge is. It's not in the sense of a courtroom or in the sense of a defense. You know, but uh, what you see is these are deliverers. And so they are God's deliverers and who are going to bring deliverance through some aspect, some means of military victory over the oppressor. Yeah, and, uh, and that was done so God could then restore greater peace under the, the judge's leadership. Uh, now, the period of this, if you want to date it, uh, it's around, estimated around, beginning, uh, the be- beginning point about the mid-1300s B.C., yeah, and so just kind of giving a, a round figure there. So the mid-1300 B.C., uh, and it lasted about 300 years. The judges themselves lasted about 300 years. Now, when you start the book of, Gen- uh, book of Judges, we, we do not know the exact time lapse between uh, this dying off of Joshua and the, and the older generation we know that occurs, and then, you know, then there's going to be some kind of a time lapse where then eventually you have the first judge. What that, what that time is, we don't know. It, it probably was not a terribly long period because of who becomes the first judge. It's in the lifetime of Othniel. And so it's not, it's not going to be a terribly long space of time between that generation, the older, the elder that have passed away to this point of, of you know, the first judge being raised up by God. I want to suggest to you that the, the purpose of the book of Judges, the purpose of the book of Judges is not to give us an exact chronological record of the events that all occurred during that time period. That's really not the purpose of it. I would suggest to you that rather the purpose of the book is to reveal God's faithfulness. And yes, we learn a lot about the people of Israel, and, and, and they were a disobedient people. They were a stubborn-hearted kind of people. But what you see in this is you see God. You see God's faithfulness in dealing with his 
disobedient children. And so that's, you know, that's really, you know, it needs to be the highlight, you know, when you, you know, read about the judges and, yes, the, you know, this judge accomplished this, that judge accomplished that. But through it all, God is present. And God is being faithful to his people. And it is a faithfulness that overflows in the book of Judges with justice. That's definitely brought out. Justice being poured out against sin. But also it is a, a faithfulness that it overflows with God's forbearance. Time and time again, God is being long-suffering. God is being patient with. And then you see the mercy of God you know, repeatedly being extended to them. Now, what we do see is there is always consequence for disobedience. And so, yeah, so there's going to be disobedience you know, you know, uh, that is going to be dealt with. But God deals with that always you know, in, you know, under the subject of a covenant relationship. And God's, God's dealings in the book of Judges has to be understood based upon the covenant that he established with his children years before when he chose them to be his special people. And so I've got just a few passages that I'm going to put up here on, on, the, uh, on the screens. First one is Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai, you know, where, you know, where it says there, Now you, you yourselves have seen what, God, what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. It's a covenant relationship. He says, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, God continued to expound on that covenant while still at Mount Sinai in chapter 23. And so he continued to, to say more about that same aspect of their responsibility. And so he goes on to say, he says, if you truly obey his voice and all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversary. So God promises, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to give you victory. He says, for my angel will go before you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will completely destroy them. So this is God's promise to them, you know, because it's a covenant relationship. And he says, you shall not worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their deeds, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their sacred pillars in pieces. But you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will remove sickness from your midst. And so God promises all these blessings based upon their, their faithfulness to the covenant that they agreed to enter with him at, you know, here at Mount Sinai. Well, this is repeated when they come to the borders uh, of, 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 the, of the Jordan, when they're on the east side before they cross over. And Moses is talking to that next generation that has lived through and survived the wilderness wanderings. And again, he comes back to these same principles. In the seventh chapter, he says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant. So everything God does or did with his dealings with the nation of Israel in the time period of the judges, and any time for that matter, it was based upon his faithfulness in a covenant relationship. 
And he goes on, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a, to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will pay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgment, which I'm commanding you today to do them. So Moses is trying to you know, re-instill you know, in the hearts of the people what had been from the beginning of the relationship that God had with Israel, that he has chosen them. It is a covenant relationship. And so there are obligations, there are expectations that come with that agreement between God and Israel. So everything that God does and had and did in the time period of the judges was always according to the covenant. And the reason why, because God does not lie. Ever. God does not lie. And so you know, that covenant you know, is going to guide God's decisions and choices that, yes, grows out of justice as well as mercy. You know, and it's because of that he is trustworthy. Because God is always faithful, even when his children are disobedient and unfaithful. Because God is faithful, you can trust God. You know, he is a trustworthy creator. He is faithful even when his people are unfaithful. So God, God was always looking out. You think about this, uh, some of the promises that we just touched on in this short reading. God was always looking out for the well-being of his people. God wanted what was best for them. And so when you come to the time, the time period of the judges after the leadership of Joshua, what we need to understand is Joshua fulfilled his mission. He completed his task in the conquering and the distributing of the promised land of Canaan. God, I mean, Joshua did what God wanted him to do. And so when you come into the time period of the judges and now you still have these remaining nations, those remaining nations were not a failure on Joshua's part. You know, Joshua did not fail to do what God sent him to do. It's not a failure on Joshua's part. Neither is it a sign of God's weakness. And so, yes, when the book of Judges begins, even before you have the first judge who's going to deliver them from the first oppression, even before that, you know, there were there was nations left in the land for a, for a reason, and there's going to be more than one reason why it stays that way. But God was looking out for their best interest. Even in that, it all relates to the fact God made a covenant with them, and God says, I choose you, I'll make you my people, my possession, my kingdom, and I will take care of you in every way. But you, you have to listen to me. You have to keep my commandments. You've got to obey me. You've got to be faithful to the covenant. And as you know, as good students of God's word, you know they weren't. And so there are going to be consequences and there are going to be repercussions because of that. But in Exodus, going back to Exodus chapter 23, when you think about the idea of God, you know, what was God's purpose of the, of the remaining nations? Well, first of all, you know, one purpose relates to the fact of the upkeep of the land. If you go back to Exodus 23, we're going to look at uh, 
Some other verses, we've looked at some that really kind of honed in on the idea of the expectation of Israel in regard to their relationship with God. But you begin there in the 27th verse, so kind of at the end of the chapter, you know, God is speaking to the young nation. It's come out of Egypt. They're at Mount, Mount Sinai. Moses is, is, is his messenger. Moses is the mediator. And God says, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion all the people among you who come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. So God is promising, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to be in the front of you. I'm going to bring you victory. And he says, I will send hornets ahead of you so that they will drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites before you. But he goes on to say, verse 29, I will not drive them out before you in a single year. So even before the book of Judges, there's going to be some nations, some uh, bits and pieces of those nations left. You know, and it wasn't because Joshua didn't finish the job. No, he did his job correctly. And God says here, I will not drive them out before you in a single year that the land may not become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Why is he, why is he doing this? Because God cares for his people. And God is looking out for the well-being of his children. You know, you know, this young nation coming into an inhabited, you know, uh, cultivated you know, you know, a region of a number of countries. And so God says, I'm not going to drive them all out in one year because then that would bring other problems. And he, goes, he goes on, verse 30, I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of the land. And I will fix your boundary from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness of the river Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you will drive them out before you. So God says, I will do what I say I will do. But he says, first of all, they're not, it's, all it's not all going to happen at once. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a plan here, and God knows what the plan is, and, and they're going to have to trust God and continue to trust God to carry out the plan that was to follow after Joshua's passing. But as you know, in the book of Judges, as we're given this overview pretty much in the first two chapters, you know, it summarizes and basically says, well, this is, that's not the only reason the nations end up staying is because God was concerned about the land itself. He said, but another reason is because the children of Israel proved to be disobedient and unfaithful. And so now, you know, reasons. One, another one is they were left so that the, the younger generations, you know, may learn, war, learn how to war, you know, battle war. And so they had, you know, they had to, they had to be able to taught. And so you have some, one generation, they have fought. They have, they had experienced the conquest of the land. What everyone has, you know, everyone hadn't experienced that. And so in Judges three, verse, you know, verse one and two, he talks about the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. In verse two, he says, only in order that the generation of the sons of Israel might be taught. War, those who had not experienced it formerly. So there's another reason God you know, was leaving nations there. You know, once again, he's looking out for their well-being. 
But then, you know, the, the kind of the, the really the main you know, thing that kind of leads into the whole theme of Judges is the third reason, and that is, is, is to test the people's obedience. Because already, already, they're not doing a very good job. Yeah. And it was, it was already evident before Joshua died that the nation in general was already beginning to slip. Doesn't uh, uh, turn to the extent that it will after the death of Joshua and those elders who, who had you know, seen the great works of God. Yeah, and so it will worsen along the way. But in, in Judges 3, verse 3 and 4, he lists the nations you know, in verse 3. And God then says, And they were for testing Israel to find out if they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers through Moses. And so God's purpose in this was ultimately to help them, really. And even the testing the people for their, to see if they're going to obey him, to help them learn to obey. Sadly, you know, they kind of fail that test time and time again. And what we see is basically that the people proved, they proved to be covenant breakers is what it is. They entered a covenant with God. And when you come into, into, into the book of, uh, uh, book of Judges, you have on the one side you God's, God's faithfulness and the manifestation of that faithfulness in all these different facets, his patience, his mercy, all of these things, you know, that is demonstrated again and again and again. On the other side, the flip side of that is this, then, you know, so you got God's faithfulness, and now you see the covenant breakers, Israel, who repeatedly break the covenant, and, and I, want, I want to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I want us to look at, and we kind of looked at it, you know, part of that earlier in one section. I want to go back to Deuteronomy. And I want to see some of the specific things that Moses, by the direction of God, you know, expounded on in regard to the covenant and things you know, to do and not do, that kind of thing. And notice you know, some of the you know, specifications that are found in the first six verses of Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy chapter 7, you, know, you, look, you look in verses 1 through 6. When the Lord your God brings you, they're not in the land yet. Remember, they're on the east side of Jordan, you know, waiting to cross over, and that's going to be under the leadership of Joshua, not Moses, because Moses is not, gonna, not allowed to cross the Jordan River because of his sin. He will see it, you know, and, he will, and so he will, he will be given that blessing of seeing you know, what God's going to accomplish. But he's not allowed to cross over. But Moses is, is basically giving his, his, his final message, his final lecture, his farewell speech. And it's a long one, in a sense, in the book of Deuteronomy. And so you've got a number of things in his warnings, admonitions, his, his instruction. He says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess... You, this is going to happen, Moses is saying. You, know, you are entering to possess it. And he says, and, and God clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. Think about that. God's going to give you this land. 
the land that belongs to all these nations, and they are greater than you, and they are stronger than you. Who makes the difference? Who's going to tip the odds? God is, yes. God is, like the song we sing, the battle belongs to the Lord here. And so God is going to keep his covenant. He's going to do his part. He's going to fulfill his plan and his promise. And, and so, God, so, yes, they are greater and stronger than you. But he goes in verse 2, and when the Lord your God delivers them before you. And so basically, he says, God's going to basically put them in your hands. He's going to basically hand them over to you. <laughs> Any other circumstance, there's no, it, it, there's no way you could win. But he says, I'm going to deliver them before you and you defeat them. I'm going to put them in your hands and you're going to beat them. Then you shall utterly destroy them. And Listen to now what he says. You shall utterly destroy them. And he goes on to say, you shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. That's part of the covenant. God says, I'm making a covenant with you. I will take care of you. You need to be faithful to the covenant. You need to obey me. You need to carry out what I've asked you to do. But you don't keep that covenant. You, know, you turn from me and you serve these other gods of the land. He says, the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he goes on to say, but thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and hew down their ashram and burn their graven image with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And so you see here in the exposition of Moses, this great book of Deuteronomy, as he is addressing the nation of Israel you know, and preparing them to conquer the land and to possess the land and to carry out God's purpose and plan for them. He is, he's trying to stir them up to faithfulness and obedience. But the book of Judges basically tells us they did not do that. And so a violation, a violation of God's covenant really began before Moses actually died. If you think, Moses, I mean, before Joshua, excuse me, I got my you know, wrong character there. Before Joshua died. Yeah, and so you think in, in, Josh, in Judges chapter 2, there's a little paragraph that's kind of inserted in this you know, first two chapters of overview. And you got these bits and pieces. You, you know. So once again, don't, you know, it's, chapter one, chapter two are not designed to be seen as chronological. You know, it's designed for us to get the picture of, of the character of the nation, to see the character of God, and kind of see, just step back and see the big picture. And then he's going to start talking about all these individual events where God shows his faithfulness and his loving kindness you know, to the nation of Israel. But in verses 1 through 5, it, is, it, it seems to me that this particular event uh, uh, was before Joshua actually passed away. Where there's an angel appears, uh, and the message is given to the nation. And there in verse 1, God says, I brought you up out of Egypt, led you into the land... 
and have sworn to your fathers, I will never break my covenant with you. God says, I will, I will, not, I will never break my covenant with you. And he says, as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? And he says, therefore, I will not drive them out, but they will become thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. And it says, when, the, when they heard this message, you know, you know, they wept, and they lifted their voices and cried out to God, and uh, they sacrificed to the Lord and called that place Bochum or Bochum, which means weepers. And so you think, of, you know, this seems to be a, uh, an event that really transpires perhaps before the actual death of Joshua. And so already, you know, the, what, what's happening is this trend, this drifting away. And, you, and so therefore, in chapters 2, even into chapter 3, you begin to see all the different ways they broke the covenant. And so, you know, he talks about, okay, you know, they were to tear down all the idol altars. Well, they didn't do that. You know, uh, they, were, they were not to you know, intermarry with you know, the people of the land because they were idolaters. They did that. Uh, they were told, don't, don't forsake the Lord, and they did. He said, don't serve their, their idols, and they did. Baal and Asherah, the, the male and female uh, fertility gods of the land. And, he's, and they were told you know, to, to listen to, to God's judges, but they didn't. They didn't continue to listen to the judges that God gave them even after their deliverances. You know, the, the judge would be raised up to deliver them from the oppression, and then that judge would serve for a while. And it seems to imply there in Judges chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, that while they're doing that time, the people in general, these are, these are, you know, like these are generalizations of the character of the nation, and so in general, they weren't listening. In spite of the fact that you just you know, had an answered prayer, and you just were freed from these oppressors, and you were under that oppression because of your sin, and here you are, you're not listening. For example, in verse 16, let me read those two verses. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. And they turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. Speaking of the faithful fathers, they didn't follow that example. And so it seems to me at least that after the judge he led in this victorious deliverance at, at the hand of God, it seems to be that this implies that a role of the judge was to be a teacher of God while they you know, led the nation. But it says, they, but they didn't listen. They didn't listen to you know, the deliverers that God brought about. And so for that reason, in chapter 2, when it talks about the anger of the Lord being stirred up. Remember that? When you're you know, back in Exodus and Deuteronomy, you read about how the anger of the Lord is going to be stirred up against them. And sure enough, it was. And so in verse 14, it says, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hand of the plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so they could no longer stand before their enemies. What a contrast. You know, remember God said, 
You know, I am, I am giving you the land. You're going to possess the land, you know, the land of nations that are greater and stronger than you, but I will deliver them into your hands and you will defeat them. Obey me. Keep the covenant. Be faithful. But he goes, but if you don't, My anger will be kindled. And it was time and time again. God's anger was kindled in the days of the judges. And once again, that is a manifestation of God's faithfulness. If our Heavenly Father says, you know, my anger will be kindled against you for this reason, and it never is, what is the children's reaction? Well, it never will. And so you continue your disobedience, right? And so you see, you see the consistency of our Heavenly Father. You see the truthfulness of our Heavenly Father. You see the faithfulness of our Father in word and in action. And so when God's anger was stirred up or burned against them, and, and basically his, when his hand was turned against them, yeah, in the sense for evil that they would suffer at his hands, it was all part of God's justice. That anger was just. God's anger was just. That's why it's so important for us to understand the concept of Romans. You know, when God provides there in Romans chapter three, you know, the propitiation of Christ's blood, so that he may remain just and the justifier of those who believe in him. God must remain true to his character. God must remain true to his nature. So yes, God is faithful in, in, in his word, in his message. God is faithfulness in his, his uh, long-suffering and in his mercy. God is faithful in those ways. He's faithful in his love, but he's also faithful in his justice Because Israel's wickedness, Israel's idolatry required justice. It demanded justice. The character of God demanded that justice. And we serve that same God. The same God that provided them deliverance and also judged them according to their deeds is the same God that we serve. And our God has provided us a greater deliverance. And he he has spoken his message you know, not through Moses, but through his son himself. And so you think, you know, the less, some of the lessons that, you know, we need to be learning from the book of Judges is the character of God and his dealings with us today. And now why it's so important for us to have a reverence and respect for the covenant and to do our best to uh, abide by that. Because God's character has not changed. Divine righteousness, divine justice will be upheld. And I, I was trying to think of some pa- New Testament passages that kind of illustrate that, particularly for to, you know, the audience of his children. And I couldn't help but think, for example, in Hebrews chapter 2. In Hebrews chapter 2, I, think it, I tried to think of a, a couple familiar verses that to me at least you know, you know, touches on this idea of divine justice must be upheld. And God is going to be faithful in upholding that and administering it. And so when I think of the, what is said in, in chapter 2 of Hebrews, 
in verse 2 and in the beginning of verse 3 primarily when he says, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedient received a just penalty. The book of Judges is one of the books of the Old Testament that shows us this. That the words of God's messengers, whether it was through a judge or through an angel or whoever God's messenger was, you know, when the word came from heaven, came from Jehovah, it was proved to be unalterable and transgression and disobedience received justice. Then the question then is then turned to us, to saints, to Christians, when he says, how will we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation. See? So that's one of the lessons we need to learn in the book of Judges. Or over in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, just one verse. 1 Peter chapter 4, you know, in verse 17. It's, it's speaking of Christ, his sufferings, and our willingness to suffer with him as Christians. You know, but in the, you want to just hone in there on... The, uh, this idea of judgment and accountability and the focus being you know, you know, on us. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of Christ? God is faithful. He has always been and will always be. And he will be faithful to his covenant. Now, we don't, we're not under the covenant that Israel was under, but we're under a covenant. We're under Christ's covenant. And so we are in this agreement, you know, blessed recipients of redemption and salvation and reconciliation, justification and sanctification, all of those spiritual blessings. And so Peter reminds saints then and saints today that judgment will begin with God's family, with God's house, you know, because we are covenant people. We're under that covenant. And I couldn't but help also think about Hebrews 12, where he talks about the father and the sons and, and chastening and disciplining. You know, what does a father do? And, of course, the lesson there in Hebrews 12 is really primarily using the physical father as just a very quick illustration, but the main point is our heavenly father and the fact that you know, he disciplines. And that's what, you know, and you think about the, all the stories, all the events, and these interesting deliverers, amazing deliverers that God chose. They were God's chosen ones. He puts them into service, and they accomplish what God chose them to do. And God kept his promise, and, he, and, he, and so yes, you see justice, but then you see mercy, and then you, then you see accountability again, over and over again. And what it is, you see a father dealing with children. You know, children who keep repeating the same sins, the same mistakes. And so you think about that idea, particularly in our relationship with God in Christ Jesus in Hebrews 12, verse 10 and 11, he says, for they, talking about the physical father, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them. But he, now we're talking about God, talking about our father in heaven. Our father in heaven disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, 
Afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That was God's goal. Every time he executed his justice against disobedience, and they suffered under this nation or that nation, this situation, that situation, every time that occurred, it was because God loved them. And God was faithful to his promise. God did not forsake them. God did not abandon them. God did not just throw in the towel on them. But he kept trying again and again because what God's goal was that they would learn, that they would be trained, that they would be truly disciplined so they would bear the fruits of righteousness. That was was God's goal. And all of that, all of that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, all of that is basically the overview of the whole book. And then, you, you know, and then when you start there in chapter 3, you begin with the first judge. And the first judge is Othniel. But once the story really does, it doesn't begin with Othniel. Where does it begin? Well, it actually begins with the unfaithfulness of Israel. And you see there in the third chapter, verse 7, you see the unfaithfulness of Israel. They did evil. And they did evil in the sight of God. And they forgot the Lord, the God, and serve the Baals and the Asherah. Remember, what, remember the things that God said about the covenant and how to keep the covenant, what to do and what not to do. And, and you, you see, you know, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're, and they're not refraining from the things they need to refrain from. And so what's going to happen? God's going to be faithful. Verse 8, God's anger was kindled against Israel. It was kindled against Israel. And so he sold them. I find you know, you know, interesting that terminology to think about you know, how you know, you know, Joseph in Genesis is sold <laughs> into Egypt. Of course, he, he is God's savior to the family <laughs> because Joseph is God's chosen servant. And of course, you know, you know the history, and here they are, you know, they're now, and they end up in Egypt, slaves. And God is the one who delivers them out of that and brings them to the promised land, the very promise that he made to Abraham. And, and here, in the book of Judges, God sells them into the hands of enemies. And it was to, to the nation of the country of Mesopotamia. You've got the king named there, Cushan Rishathaim uh, is the king. And they, and they serve under him for eight years. You know, so this is a forced subjugation. And so, so this, this would have been you know, not a pleasant thing. This would have been very difficult. There would be hard, hard and difficult times. And, and that is definitely implied in verse 9. Where it says, when they cried you know, to the Lord, the Lord acted. I can't help but think, once again, you think about the character of God. So God's character is anger. He's faithful. You know, God, God, God is being faithful you know, to his children. But then when they cry to him... When they turn to him in this way, in verse 9, the Lord heard them. And so what you see here is you see the compassion of a father. You see the mercy of the heavenly father. The fact that he was moved by his children's groanings. 
He was moved by his children's crying out to him. Which implies this is a turning back to God. Now, to what extent? We're, we're, not, we're not told you know, how, how, how well they completely turn back to God, except in the introduction, it says God would raise up, these, up the judges and he would deliver the people through those judges, but they did not listen to the judge. You have that kind of generalization describing. You know, but they, so God shows mercy. And once again, God's character, he's faithful to him. He, and so, yes, when he cried to him, he heard, he responds, and he chooses Othniel. Yeah, as you know, Othniel was the nephew of who? Caleb, right. He's the nephew of Caleb, you know, that one, you know, the one of two, you know, back in the days of the wilderness wanderings, who said, yes, with God, we can defeat this giant. We can conquer it. But the majority did not believe, and so God dealt with the nation appropriately But here you are, God is intervening. And so the deliverance that occurs under the leadership of Othniel, what I would would want to emphasize is this, is that it's not so much Othniel. It's God working through Othniel. Because you, you see, he said, okay, once again, it's not Othniel who says, oh, you know, you know, I see an opportunity and I can do this. No, Othniel is not stepping up on his own. And leading the charge. No, it says the Lord raised up a deliverer. God chose Caleb's nephew, Othniel. Now, Othniel has earlier demonstrated you know, his, his valor. You, know, you see that in the story of Joshua when, he, when he, he conquers a city. And because he conquers the city, he wins his uncle's da- youngest daughter. And, and she becomes Othniel's wife. And so often it is implies to be a man of, 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 of quality, of character. And so God chooses him, and, and it goes on to say, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And so God raised him up, and God placed the Spirit of the Lord upon him so that, yes, when they went to war, they defeated you know, the king in Mesopotamia, and they had rest for 40 years. They were, in a, they were in oppression eight years, eight long years. But then God gave them rest for 40. God's blessings always surpass the suffering, the hardship. As you know, the story throughout, you know, you know, after Othniel dies, the, the people quickly turn away from God again, back into their old ways. And so we have now in chapter, 12, in verse, in chapter 3, verses 12 to 30, you have another oppression. But this time it is, it is an oppression under, you know, primarily under the Moabites um, who have an alliance with Ammon and Amalek. Uh, and so, and once again, it's because they turned away from the, from the Lord. They did evil in the sight of God. And so God raises up you know, this, you know, the oppressor. Uh, they actually take the city of palm trees. What city is that? That's Jericho. Remember how, how they won Jericho? <laughs> and now, you know, this city that they won by the power of God way back at the beginning in, in the early conquest of Canaan. Here, God, you know, basically raises up a nation, you know, to defeat his people. 
You know, if you think about it, in verse 12, it says the Lord strengthened the king of Moab. The Lord strengthened the king. You know, he couldn't have done it without God's hand in it. And so what you see here also throughout the book of Judges is the idea of how God rules over the nations. And so you have you know, Moab and Ammon who are descendants of Lot, in turn descendants of, of, of uh, uh, Abraham, oppresses them for eight years, the oppression extends. Think God's trying to get the lesson across? Yeah. So, the, yeah. so the discipline is a little bit longer this time. Well, they do turn back to him. Once again, due to Israel's penitence, you know, God is the one who raises up a deliverer, Ehud, the Benjamite, the left-handed guy who hides a, a dagger you know, under his cloak and is able to to have a private meeting with the king and drives that dagger into the abdomen of, of the king who's extremely large and, and, the, and this dagger is swallowed up by the man's flesh. And he gets out of there without getting caught. How could that have happened normally? Is that, does that, you know, you know under normal circumstances... <laughs> Under normal circumstances, this is not, not going to ha- happen. Even if he could get in, he's going to get out without being noticed. But he does. And once again, you see God's providence. And so what does he do? You see with, with God's hand involved, they have victory. But once again, the victory is because of God's involvement in it. But Israel has to respond. I think, I think this is interesting. They really talk. Okay, so Ehud, as we finish the lesson, we'll touch on Shamgar next week a little bit. But you know, Ehud, he, he flees, gets away. He's out in the hill country of Ephraim, and he basically calls for volunteers. So God has got him this far. God, you know, God has raised the, the deliverer. The deliverer has basically you know, caused the nation of Moab to be leaderless, but Israel has to respond. They have to do their part as well to gain the victory that God's going to give them. Thank you so much for your attention, and I appreciate your patience with me.